Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Are we living in the last generation? That's the dramatic question that so many have on their minds and hearts. And others just don't want to think about it. No, we prefer our own thinking. We prefer to think that time will go on forever. And just as we envisioned it. On the other hand, as we look around our world, we discover that things are not going on as we envisioned. They're changing dramatically. They're changing dramatically everywhere. The geopolitical positions of the earth and the leadership of the world is changing dramatically. We see it happening in Israel with the collapse of their government again today. We see it happening in Russia. We see it happening in Europe. We see it happening in America. We see it happening everywhere. Well, Jesus' disciples were concerned about the question, what would happen? When will these things happen? So Jesus was sitting with his disciples there on the Mount of Olives, a very dramatic vista overlooking the eastern gate of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, and overlooking the Kidron Valley. And his disciples asked him two big questions. When will these things be, and what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now we know that the very first thing that Jesus said out of his mouth was, take heed that no man deceive you. Do you think that deception is ranking high now in the governments of the world, that deception is ranking high now among the so-called legalities of the world, the, uh, the court systems of the world, even in the United States of America? Do you think that deception is ranking high in our educational system and what's happening as we send our kids to school and they are deceived by teachers who are promoting promulgating things that are wicked, things that are contrary to the word, the will, and the ways of the Lord. Do you think that deception is everywhere? Indeed, it is. Jesus said it would be the defining characteristic of the end of the age. But he also told them of difficult times. He used the term great tribulation. He never used the term tribulation per se, in his Olivet Discourse, but he did use the term Great Tribulation. It was a period of time at the end of another period of time that would be so amplified, would be so elevated beyond anything that humankind had ever experienced, including the likes of the French Revolution, where the heads rolled first with uh, the terror and then the Great Terror, It was a terrifying time. But the interesting thing is that particularly in the Western world, we have very little remembrance or cognizance of what that might really look like. We just don't. Not only do we not have much in the way of our own memories, but we also don't have much in the way of historical memory. 
So today on Viewpoint, we're going to, well, we're going to go back. and We're taking a little journey. We're going to get in our chariots and we're going to go back and take a little journey through history to take a look at some of the world's great tyrants. And as we take a look at these great tyrants in the history of our planet, we are going to be asking ourselves some rhetorical questions. What is it that motivated these people? Are there any characteristics that would link them together in ways that might surprise us, might actually help us to realize that when the counterfeit Christ comes, he may actually resemble all of the characteristics that unite these terrifying tyrants that have ruled the world throughout history. Well, Jesus, again, on his Olivet Discourse there, prompted his disciples with the question, or the statement, this generation shall not pass till all things be fulfilled. So are are we living in that last generation? What do you think? A lot of people are asking that question. A lot of people are not wanting to ask the question, but lurking deeply in their minds and hearts, they realize this may very well be that generation that Jesus talked about, not just about wars and rumors of wars and so on, because he said they were just the beginning of sorrows. But he said there was going to be such an amplification, such an unbelievable amplification of deception and terror that he called it the Great Tribulation. So the piercing sound of a trumpet is sounding forth today here on Viewpoint concerning the nature of real tribulation, terrifying tribulation, tyrants who have ruled the world and who have engaged in such treachery that it caused the then known world, or at least those spheres of the world, to tremble. Is that what the Antichrist is going to look like? Well, certainly not initially. He will come in peacefully. In fact, the prophet Daniel says that through the pursuit of peace, the alleged pursuit of peace, he will destroy many. How is that possible? How is it possible that through the alleged pursuit of peace, you can actually end up being history's greatest tyrant, a terrifying individual who, in the name of Satan, under the authority of Satan, will fulfill everything that Jesus warned about in the Gospel of John when he said, The thief cometh but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Fortunately, he said, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So here on Viewpoint, even today, as we take a look at some of the darkest areas of human history, these terrifying tyrants, the treachery that they engaged in, the deception, and how it impacted those around them. And we look at the characteristics then that bound them all together, you and I, to consider how you and I should then live, considering that if those things 
were troubling to that extent in those days, if indeed we're living in the last generation, wow, we should take heed. We should hear the sound of the trumpet even as we discuss these things. For as Jesus, or as God himself said to Isaiah, lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people. That's what we're doing here today on Viewpoint as always. By the way, before we go further, I want to make available my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, because there is a section called The Trumpet Sounds, part six of the book, in which we actually talk about in great detail the tyranny, treachery, and tribulation that has come upon the earth and that will soon come again. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. The trumpet makes a rather piercing sound. It really does. It's been called, it's been employed to announce coming royalty, to warn against dire impending danger. But the shofar trumpet, or ram's horn, was actually ordained by God as a particularly unique and heart-piercing instrument to call God's people to attention beyond all other trumpet sounds. Beyond all other trumpet sounds. Now, if God said to lift up your voice like a trumpet, then it would seem that we would hear that trumpet call all over America and around the world. With 350,000 churches in America, you would think you would hear a vast trumpet call, the shofar sounding and resonating throughout the country and the people of God quaking in their boots and preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour, realizing that we're in that final generation, but that trumpet sound is not happening. Hardly at all. Hardly at all. Why is that? Why is that? We should ask and answer questions like that. But interestingly, you may recall in that wonderful song, Battle Hymn of the Republic, that Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote there at the time of our Civil War. She said, he, that is God, is sounding forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He's sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift my soul to answer him. Be jubilant my feet. His truth is marching on. Well, the reality is that the God of history that she wrote about and prophecy is doing no less today to prepare the way and alert we the people for the coming King of Kings and the unprecedented deceptive opposition of his imposter. So when the trumpet sounds, the initial reaction to that soul-piercing tenor of the shofar is to shrink in terror like Israel did there at Mount Sinai. The whole mount shook. 
and Israel shook. Yet God's goal, his real goal, after being confronted with his profound presence and glory, is that you and I be not perpetually paralyzed by the sound of the trumpet, but be profoundly motivated to assess our own ways in the face of a holy God who will soon send his Son of Righteousness to judge the earth and its peoples with righteousness and the people with his truth. So, the trumpet is sounding, and today on Viewpoint, we're going to make a a very specific journey back in history to see what tyranny and treachery and tribulation really look like. What they have looked like in the past, and if we take a look at what they looked like in some of the historical venues of the past, we can then perhaps better understand what is likely to happen when the counterfeit Christ, the imposter, the Antichrist, takes over. But, in again, repeating, in our sensitive Western minds, it's almost incapable, it seems, of grasping the gravity of that kind of tyranny, the treachery that gives birth to it, and the trials and tribulations that tarnish all genuine human sensibility. So, are you in your chariot yet? Are you ready to take the journey, looking over the shoulder of history, bravely? We want to get back to some shocking historical realities. That If we would really be honest in our preparation for prophetically promised times of ever-increasing and pressurized trials, we would owe it to ourselves, to our loved ones, and yes, indeed, to our ministry constituencies, to take a sobering look back over the shoulder of history. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do right now. A book came out years ago called Tyrants, History's 100 Most Evil Despots and Dictators. When I went through that book, I was shocked, troubled, and indeed drawn to question, could this in part look like what Jesus, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, and John were talking about in their prophetic writings? Could this be? So here we go. We're going to take a look at quite a number of these, so uh, be patient and uh, try not to become overly engaged in what happened then, but realize that what happened then can repeat itself on steroids in our time. First of all, we look at a fellow by the name of Satan. His name was originally Lucifer. He said, I will ascend into heaven and I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars of God. He said, I'm going to ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the Most High. So, There are two uh, individuals in particular that the Bible speaks about as types of Satan. One was Tyrus, a type of Satan. And in the book of Ezekiel, it says, because your heart is lifted up and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of God, they shall bring you down to the pit. Now, initially, 
we see one of the key characteristics then of all of these tyrants. They represent, they are types of the greatest tyrant of all time, Satan himself, the great rebellion that he chorused in heaven with the angels. He says of Tyrus, because your heart is lifted up and you have said, I am a God, and I sit in the seat of God. That's the key. Every one of these tyrants, in some way or another, sees themselves as godlike or a kind of God in their generation. Also referring to Pharaoh, a type of Satan. Who are you like in your greatness? Asked the book of Ezekiel. Because you have lifted up yourself and your heart is lifted up, you say, I made the nations to shake at the sound of your fall. When I cast him down to hell with them to descend into the pit, God says, and yet Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? In other words, Pharaoh exalted himself and saw himself as a veritable God. When we see that initially, we know that somehow, somewhere, linking and lurking together is this idea, this innermost compulsion, conviction, that somehow I am a God or I am God. Now, lest you should think, please listen very carefully, lest you should think that that idea is only going to inhabit the minds and hearts of these tyrants that we look at and of the ultimate tyrant, the Antichrist, the imposter, the counterfeit Christ, lest you should think that this idea of I am a God, I am godlike, should inhabit only those people, the tyrants. Just think about the people that are willing to receive those tyrants have the same kind of thinking in their own minds and hearts. Because they're in rebellion. They are also in rebellion against the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe. And therein lies. You want to talk about the great insurrection? Oh, we are about to see in our generation the greatest insurrection in the history of mankind. And it's going to come from the bottom up. From the bottom up, because the ultimate tyrant, the Antichrist, will not be able to gain power unless the people are already like him, already in rebellion already thinking of themselves in godlike terms, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And may I suggest to you that that spirit already exists throughout the entire church. You know how we know that? Because when pastors and and their people read certain passages of Scripture concerning our attitudes, our behaviors, let's say, by way of illustration, concerning sexual sin. 
How do they respond? Yes, but. Yes, but. In other words, elevating our own viewpoints over what God has said. In other words, lurking deep in our own minds and hearts is the very spirit of Antichrist. And that's how and why Antichrist will be so easily able to take dominion. Now that having been said, let's go now and take a look through the windows of history at some of these great tyrants. First of all, a fellow by the name of Alexander the Great, you remember him. He sent instructions back to the Greek city-states that he was to be declared a god. He styled himself Lord of the World. He ordered Greek followers to prostrate themselves before him and executed those who refused. Hmm. Most never would have thought about that concerning Alexander the Great. How about Caesar Augustus? He was in power when Jesus came on the scene, the first emperor of Rome. He sought absolute power ruthlessly and sought to expand his empire so that he ruled the whole known world. In 12 BC, Caesar Augustus became Pontifex Maximus, the head of the state religion. He died August 19th, A.D. 14, and was made a god on September 17th, A.D. 14. Pontifus Maximus. That's exactly the term, by the way, that was picked up by the Bishop of Rome. Who's the Bishop of Rome? We call him for short the Pope, the Pontifus Maximus, Caligula, one of the most despised of the Roman Empire. He had pretensions to divinity and built temples and statues to himself. He ordered his own statue to be placed in the temple in Jerusalem so that the Jews could worship him. And by the way, he, he often wore women's clothing or dressed as a god, as he perceived a god. How about Domitian? Domitian, he, he was a tyrant. He insisted on being addressed as, quote, master and god. And then, of course, outside Rome was Genghis Khan. The tyrant's tyrant, he was called. He began his murderous career at the age of 12, and by age 33, he took the name Genghis Khan, which means universal ruler. In other words, he saw himself as the god of the earth. Then there was a fellow by the name of Tamerlane, a Turkish Muslim. He took the motto, Tamerlane took the motto of all true tyrants. Here's what he said, as there is but one god in heaven, there ought to be but one ruler on earth. In other words, he declared himself God on the earth. Then there was the infamous fella called Thomas de Torquemada. In 1483, he became Grand Inquisitor of Spain for the Roman Catholic Church. Even though he was of Jewish heritage himself, 
He persuaded Ferdinand and Isabella, the same ones who gave permission to Columbus to go across the world, Ferdinand and Isabella expelled all Jews from Spain. On March 31st, 1492, the very same year that Columbus sailed the ocean blue, believing he was carrying out an evangelistic enterprise. Now, how about this fella, Torquemada? He created the largest population of Jewish refugees from medieval Europe. Any that remained were burned. Many called him the savior of Spain, but his vicious inquisition continued its grim work even after his death, his last victim in the New World in 1836. Amazing, isn't it? And we just started. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. What does tyranny look like? What does treachery look like? What does tribulation really look like? We're going to see, we are seeing, some of the earlier vestiges of that in world history. But we're going to see a lot more in the next half hour. And as we wrap up, we're going to take a look at 10 specific identification factors that link almost all of these tyrants. We've already noted one of them, perhaps the most notable of all. And the interesting thing is about that one notable thing that they all saw themselves in sort of a godlike, they, they were going to be God in the flesh, shall we say. The interesting thing is that in this final generation, the majority of human beings will see themselves exactly that way. And that's why they will be engaged in the ultimate, ultimate battle against authority, against God's authority, the ultimate insurrection. If you don't have a copy of my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, you might really want to get a copy. I think it will reveal an awful lot to you uh, that you're not likely to find elsewhere, you're not likely to hear elsewhere, uh, that will help, uh, help us to place ourselves 
in the reality of what Jesus and his apostles really talked about, about these times that are coming upon the earth. Because if we don't understand that, we won't be prepared. And if we're not prepared, it will overwhelm us. Like Pastor Brunson, the one who had been imprisoned in a Turkish prison for two years, he said just last week, he said, I wasn't prepared. I almost lost my faith. I wasn't prepared for that kind of persecution. So it's about preparation. The book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, it is a $22 book on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Have you ever heard of Vlad the Impaler? From 1456 to 1462, six years, the Count of Wallachia, south of Transylvania, butchered one-tenth of the population to preserve his absolute power. Vlad's father was honored by the Holy Roman Emperor Sigismund with the membership of the Order of the Dragon, meaning that his son was, quote, son of a dragon or Dracula. Son of a dragon. Hmm. He seized that theme and against all opposition proceeded to impale on thousands of wooden spikes all he found to even remotely object to his absolute rulership. Now, get a load of this. He converted from Orthodox Christianity to Catholicism. But his barbarity was so overwhelming in protecting and displaying his perverse power that he terrified even the Muslim Turks who came across a field with stakes nearly two miles long and over half a mile wide on which were impaled the bodies of men, women, and children, about 20,000 of them. And he had converted to Catholicism. So he became a traitor to the Christian cause. In fact, the abject horror of his dominion strikes terror into the heart of any civilized person now, over 650 years down the trajectory of history. A betrayer of Christ while claiming to be a Catholic. He devised dreadful and frightful, unspeakable torments, such as impaling mothers and children nursing at their breasts so that the children kicked convulsively at their breasts until they died. In the same manner, he cut open mothers' breasts and stuffed their children's heads through and thus impaled both of them. He had all kinds of people impaled sideways, Christians and Jews, so that they moved and twitched and whimpered in confusion a long time like frogs on the stakes. He impaled people and roasted them and boiled their heads in a kettle and skinned people, hacking them to pieces like cabbage. He roasted children and forced their mothers to eat them in the land that he ruled. 
as a Catholic convert. Even Thomas uh, Tomas de Torquemada, remember, the Grand Inquisitor of Spain, he was a Jew. And who did he go after? The Jews. He betrayed his people. Caesar Borgia, he was the son of Pope Alexander VI. He used the armies of the church in an attempt to establish his own principality in central Italy. His manipulation of political power for his own ends, believe it or not, is celebrated in The Prince, that book, the famous book, The Prince, by Machiavelli, who praised him. Caesar himself, Caesar Borgia, took up the motto, either Caesar or nothing. You know what the reality is? Ultimately, either Caesar or Christ. Well, then there was a fellow by the name of Henry VIII as king of England. He he seemed to be the ideal king, young, fit, well-educated, handsome, but he became a bloody tyrant. For attacking Martin Luther... The Pope conferred on Henry VIII the title Defender of the Faith. And then when he's unable to obtain a papal blessing to marry Anne Boleyn, since he was already married to Catherine of Aragon, he broke from the Church of Rome, declaring himself to be the supreme head of the Church of England. In other words, a veritable God. Why did he do that? Because he disagreed with what the Bible said about divorce and remarriage. Anybody listening yet? Oh, if I can't remarry if she's alive, I'll just kill her. In fact, Henry killed all those who opposed him, including his own Lord Chancellor, Sir Thomas More, who was executed for treason because he refused to acknowledge Henry as head of the Church of England, in other words, a veritable god, and for failing to put his blessing on Henry's effort to have his marriage to Catherine annulled so he could marry Anne Boleyn without being accused of adultery. So what did he do? He killed him. In fact, all of Henry's six serial wives, two were beheaded, one was hung, drawn, and quartered, and he killed his Lord Chancellor, whom he trusted. Mary, <coughs> excuse me, Mary the First. Her brutal persecution of Protestants earned her the name Bloody Mary. In her effort to revive the Roman Catholic Church, she ordered some three hundred Protestants burned at the stake. Ivan the Terrible. You probably heard of him, an excellent horseman. He was fond of fond of hunting. Besides the thrill of the kill. While seemingly religiously devout, he enjoyed beating up and robbing farmers and even made a public confession of his sins in Moscow and at the age of 17 was crowned Tsar of Russia. By the way, the word Tsar means Caesar. Ivan's tyrannical rule unleashed a reign of terror that was seldom matched. Thousands were tortured and killed and even his closest advisors were imprisoned or exiled. Yet he donated money to the church to pray for the souls of his victims. 
to enforce his rule. Ivan introduced an organization much like the KGB or Hitler's Gestapo, instilling terrifying fear into the populace, not hesitating to burst into a church during a mass and abduct the priest or murder him before the altar. His atrocities in pursuit of empire are almost indescribable. Even his friends were not safe. His treasure was boiled to death in a cauldron, and his counselor was hanged while Ivan's men took turns to hack off pieces of his body. Then, in 1570, Ivan sacked and burned the city of Novograd, uh, Novgorod into oblivion. He tortured, mutilated, impaled, roasted, and massacred 60,000 of its citizens. The Archbishop of Novgorod was sewn into a bearskin and then hunted by a pack of hounds who tore him to pieces. Men, women, and children were tied to sleighs which were pushed into the freezing waters of the Volkhov River. There were so many corpses, they dammed the river and made it flood its banks. And seven of Ivan's eight wives fared little better. They were exiled to convents. The seventh, he had drowned all while he boasted of deflowering a thousand virgins. Hardly a family in Russia had escaped his murderous rule, unscathed and many had been eliminated completely. The country, Russia, would take centuries to recover from this most tyrannical of rulers. Oh, and we have just barely started, friends. What of Maximilian Robespierre? that sponsored the Great Terror in modern France. What of Vladimir Lenin? What of Joseph Stalin? What of Benito Mussolini? What of Adolf Hitler? What of Mao Zedong? What of Fidel Castro? And so on. Mm, what are their commonalities? Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Mayo Tsetong may have been the most powerful despot that ever lived ruling single-handedly over nearly a billion people for 25 years. He said, political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. He caused some three million people to be executed in just a few years. Others to be 
re-educated. Fidel Castro, brought up as a Roman Catholic, attended Jesuit-run boarding school, said he was going to make Latin America safe for democracy, and then destroyed it in the name of democracy. Just as what's happening with the political left in America today. Then there was a fellow, Ephraim Mont. Shockingly, this murderous dictator is an ordained minister of the authoritarian right-wing gospel outreach evangelical church based in California. In March 1982, a junta headed by Mont seized power in Guatemala and wiped out at least 448 villages off the map. Hundreds of thousands fled to Mexico. In just four months, people of all ages were not only shot, they were burned alive, hacked to death, disemboweled, drowned, and beheaded. Children were smashed against rocks or bayoneted to death. In 2012, his term expired. He was charged with genocide, but he remains under house arrest without trial to this very day. So here's the question, though. You say, why, why would you bring up all of these isn't the gospel a positive thing? Yes, it is. It's positively truthful about history. It's positively truthful about the future. It's positively truthful about what you and I are likely to face in our time, if indeed this is the generation, the last generation. So why this terrifying litany of tyrants? Well, we're going to take a look at that here now. By the way, there were many others we didn't even mention that are mentioned in my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, which if you don't have the book, you really need to get it. It's uh, $21, excuse me, $22. It's on our website, uh, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, I hope you have stayed in your chariot until now, remaining yourself strapped in so that we can take a look now at the identifying patterns of these previous tyrants, their backgrounds, their manner of rule, their philosophy of life and government, how they viewed humankind as well as the terror of the times it can be very instructive to you and to me in identifying the coming imposter that we call the Antichrist. Now, it's been said, as you know, that those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So here we have unspeakable tyranny that has troubled our world since the earliest days of history, perhaps beginning with Nimrod right there in Babel. The Babel. In the West... The Western world, particularly America, we've been largely sheltered to date from some of these dictatorial atrocities. But the darkening clouds and ominous winds of history are closing in more rapidly than most of us would care to acknowledge. Isn't that true? And the world's ultimate tyrant, the Antichrist, is soon going to make his appearance, sweeping the world and its people into an unprecedented, tyrannical rule under Satan's authority that's going to make what happened in the French Revolution look like a Sunday school picnic. All right, are you ready? We're going to take a look at 
what I call the top 10 linking characteristics of the tyrants of history. Think about each one of them as it might relate to a description how we might understand the imposter to come. First, many of these tyrants have outwardly religious, even Christian backgrounds. Some were even trained for the priesthood, including, believe it or not, Joseph Stalin, who butchered about 30 million Russians. How could this be? How could many of these tyrants have outwardly religious, even Christian backgrounds, some Jewish, and even trained for the priesthood, and become so tyrannical? Many of these tyrants carried out their their nefarious deeds by means of a trusted political or religious personality that was invested with vast power over the people, sort of like a, a false prophet. Remember a fellow by the name of uh, Rasputin there in Russia. He had such power within the Tsar's kingdom that he virtually ruled it through his wickedness, much like Satan rules a tyrant. They had trusted political or religious personality invested with vast power over the people, like a false prophet. Isn't that exactly what the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, that there will be a false prophet, the Antichrist will have a false prophet, who will seduce the people uh, through miracles and all kinds of things, and he himself will come up with this idea of the mark of the beast. Many of these tyrants came to power democratically before usurping ultimate power dictatorially. Think about that. In the pursuit of democracy, they installed dictatorship. Why? Because of how they thought about themselves. Most, if not all, of the tyrants saw themselves as the most important person on earth thus invested either by God or circumstances as having absolute authority or claiming personal deity. Virtually all of these tyrants justified massive atrocities to both gain and preserve absolute power through terrifying fear in pursuit of illusory peace and utopian glory. By the way, did you know that there's an entire book called Absolute Monarchy? You know what the book is about? It's about the papacy. Historically and currently. Virtually all these tyrants were driven by an insatiable lust for dominion either regionally or globally. Isn't that exactly what we're seeing in the pursuit of globalism today, my friend? Isn't that why the entire Democratic Party and many Republicans have hated Donald Trump 
with a purple passion to destroy him and everyone around him because he said, we're going to make America great again, because he refused to embrace the globalistic intentions of Hillary Rodham Clinton and uh, uh, Joe Biden and uh, Barack Obama and all of those around him. Hmm. Are you beginning to see the picture? Most of these uh, tyrants were either sodomites, bisexual, or insatiably driven to almost unfathomable sexual promiscuity. Hmm. Sounds a little bit like Daniel's description of the Antichrist, doesn't it? While promising prosperity, the utopian policies of most of these tyrants led to massive poverty and devastating famines. In other words, the promise of peace turned into the reality of horror. What is it that the World Economic Forum through Klaus Schwab is promising today? Oh, you're not going to own anything and be happy about it. In other words, we're going to reduce all of humankind in the Western world to the lowest common denominator, and you won't have to worry about anything because we, in our godlike pursuit, are going to provide all of your needs through the new global government. They promise toleration. Their promise of toleration devolved for the most into diabolical terror. Do we not hear all this call for tolerance today? Tolerance of everybody that they, other than those that they don't have any toleration for. And who is it that they don't have any toleration for? True followers of Jesus Christ and Orthodox Jews. It's been exactly the same through all of history. The pattern is the same. And then finally, faith and family were the inevitable casualties of godless utopianism. Since faith and family provided security and stability that was inconsistent with the craven need of the tyrant to be the sole source of trust. Friends, write the tyranny globally, and you will see what we're up against, why we're talking about this. This is going to produce, that attitude, those spirits are going to produce what Jesus called the Great Tribulation. And Jesus did not say that you and I will not be faced with it. There is not one place in the Bible where he says that. Nor does the Apostle Paul, nor does the Apostle Peter, nor does the Apostle John or James. In fact, all of their warnings are to believers to be prepared for the coming persecution. So are you prepared? Are you getting prepared? How do you get prepared? 
We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, putting on the whole armor of God. We need to get serious about being students of the word of God, not just religious facts. We want to build our trust in the Lord. My wife and I are going through some very substantial tests or trials right now. We realize that these are for our benefit as testing and trying as they are. They're for our benefit. Why? Because without a test, there is no testimony. Without a test, your faith is a mere figment of the imagination. So, the question that's looming over our lives right now, in this prophetic hour, is will you be ready? Are you ready? Have you seriously and soberly been preparing not only your own heart, but the hearts of those who occupy your home and pastors, yes, your congregation? And if not, if you haven't been doing that, the time is now. Not tomorrow, but now. As the scripture continually says, today is the day of salvation. Today. 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 Get a copy of the book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. I think it will be a great encouragement to you, not because of that particular chapter concerning tyrants and tribulation and so on, but because of how you and I must be prepared to respond to all of the various things that the prophets had foretold, that the book of Revelation foretells, that Jesus foretold. Friends, there's a reason why all those things are in the Bible, and they're not just for information. They're for our transformation. Get a copy of the book, $22, on our website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA, write to us, and seriously become a partner, friends. Really, I mean, seriously. These are the times. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.